Spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. New motherhood gives you an opportunity to embrace the chaos and know that you are doing the best you can, including in your sex life. Sarah J. Swafford. Wow. Nearly 3 million babies were born in the United States in 2014. That number just kind of blew my mind. And I was thinking, you know, whether moms are single or not, having a child can and often does drastically affect your sex life and your sexuality. And it's a topic that I've wanted to explore and I don't have the personal experience as a mom. So I'm so thrilled to have an expert today. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. Sarah J. Swafford is a sex educator for moms and the author of the book From Ouch to Awe, The New Mom's Guide to Sex After Baby. Sarah offers easily accessible sexuality education that is relevant to a mom's life. She explores topics like libido differences, relationship changes after babies, sexual self-esteem, and communication all through the lens of sexual empowerment for women, which I just love. Sarah has a master's degree in public health, and after working as a sex educator in New York, D.C., and Missouri, she now lives in the Pacific Northwest with her partner of 17 years and their two children. Her non-work hobbies include includes sports of all kinds, especially roller derby, rad, which she's been playing for four years. Learn more about her at sarahjswafford.com. Thank you for being here, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, August. I would love to hear, first of all, how you got to this career point and what led you into sex ed? It's a very great question. Um, and it's one that always makes me kind of chuckle. I really ended up writing the book that I wish I had had when I had my oldest child. Um, I was young when I had my son, my oldest son, who is now almost 10. And I had a great sex life. And I just really had never even crossed my radar that sex after a baby could be an issue or I just really assumed everything would go right back. After, you know, a few weeks, everything would just pick right back up where it had been before. And lo and behold, I had a new baby and I truly thought I would never want to have sex again. And it was a huge blow to my self-esteem. My partner and I were really not prepared um, for it. And we didn't really have the tools to talk about it in a way, in, in healthy, um, you know, ways that were, were really acknowledged each of our situation. And when I went and looked for resources, the things that I found were really kind of like the articles you find in magazines, like wear stiletto heels and sexy lingerie and really based for your partner and not so much for a brand new mom who's nursing, exhausted, and truly feels like her sexual identity has been turned on end. So um, I 
have a master's degree in, in public health. And I actually got that after my, my oldest son was born. But um, I had worked in all different types of sex education. And as a mom, especially after my second child was born, I started talking with other moms and realized how much of a need there was for conversations that were really real about what sex looks like after a baby. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got my start. Beautiful. I love that. And I love that you have taken your own experience and are helping, I'm sure, so many people because I feel like this is a really missing conversation. Like you said, you didn't know you were really surprised by the changes. And I imagine that's very common. So why and how, I guess that's two questions, but why does a woman's sexuality change after having a baby? Well, you know, um, my book is really also broken up into these sections. We talk about the, I talk about the physical changes that occur, um, which I think most of us are familiar with. There's a lot of um, bodily changes that are going to happen after a pregnancy. And um, your hormones are changing. If you're breastfeeding, there's, um, you know, you're having, uh, you're feeding your baby. You are physically needed all the time. When you're not breastfeeding, the same thing. I mean, you have a baby who's waking up at all hours of the night and your focus changes so much towards your child. And in our brains are really wired to do that, right? That's how infants um, survive infancy. (laughs) If we weren't really uh, wired this way, I don't know that babies would survive. And it's really, it, it, it just completely turns a relationship on its head. It can. And what I, one of the fun things that, that I learned is I interviewed women for a year about their experiences um, in their sex lives after having babies. And I think I had kind of expected or maybe hoped that, you know, everyone's experience would really be similar to my own and validate how I had felt, you know, the, after my first son was born. But what I found is that women have a really, there's a spectrum of experiences and some women truly do bounce right back and are just like, they feel great about their sex lives. And they're also juggling having a baby and it's not a big deal. There are other um, couples who really never, ever return to a place of intimacy that was the same. Um, There are some couples who go on to have a way better sex life after having kids. I've interviewed women who've had their first orgasm after having, you know, two, three kids. Um, Women who kind of lost their inhibitions and felt way more comfortable um, exploring things like sex toys, vibrators, um, talking to their partners about what they need after they had babies. So um, what's really interesting is there is no one experience, but there are commonalities in some of the, the challenges that we experience after having a baby. And some of them are physical, some of them are, them are emotional. And then what what I really always encourage moms to do also is just work on healthy sexual communication with their partner. Beautiful. So many wonderful points you just made. And I think it's really important for people to hear, you know, that whatever their experience is, it's, you know, perfectly okay. And I wonder, maybe you could speak to this. I noticed that when I interview sex positive moms or sex positive women who have children, a lot of them have faced some criticism because they're talking about sex and their moms. And I wonder what kind of cultural influence is there some is some of the potential cause for, for example, libido decline? Can that happen from believing that, you know, sex is for more the 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 single girls and if you're a mom you're not allowed to you know you have to be quote unquote good and nurturing and maybe sex isn't part of that 
That's a really great question. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure to be the perfect mom as a woman. And there's kind of your, your, there, you know, the whole Madonna whore complex where you're supposed to be, you know, very sexual before you have children and then you're supposed to be pious and perfect afterwards. I mean, that's a bit of, you know, that's kind of an extreme, but I do think that it's relevant. But um, I, I think that our society really encourages women to dedicate themselves completely to their children and kind of forget some of their own individual identity. And I think the first part of that can be your sexual identity. And it, it might not be on purpose, um, but I think when we are when we exhaust ourselves caring for our children and um, kind of ha- wanting to have the perfect home or have our children involved in all of these activities, which are all, you know, having working in your home and working for your kids or working at work are all wonderful, rel- you know, important things to do. But when we pour ourselves into these other things and aren't kind of, first of all, are just over exhausting ourselves, when you're exhausted, your libido is going to be the first thing to go. And that's just a fact. And so moms, I think, are particularly prone to over exhaustion because of all of the needs of the family. And it's really easy to see to those needs first, and then basically never, ever fill your own cup, never um, see to your own needs. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. Mm. So fascinating. And I love what you said about, you know, really, it's the whole having to put the, you know, emergency mask on yourself first before somebody else or, you know, refilling that cup and seeing yeah. sexuality as, as part of that. That's so important. And you mentioned in your own experience that, you know, you and your husband, your partner did not know how to address uh, these changes. How do you find that these kinds of issues do affect couples overall? Boy, um, you know, I think that if couples don't learn to talk about sexual challenges, it's, well, let me, let me rephrase it in a more positive way. (laughs) Um, you know, if, if your goal is, if you have a partner that you have children with and your goal is to grow old and to, um, you know, be in a long-term partnership with that person after your children are gone, learning to communicate, communicate about sex is, it's just, um, it's just part of a relationship. It's just, it's a need, just like any other need, like just like being able to discuss who's going to do what kind of housework or who's going to pick up the kids from school, being able to discuss what's working, what's not working, what your challenges are, um, in your intimate life are just a part of that. And so, you know, right after a baby is born, what can happen is, you know, the, the partner who has birthed the baby, um, or is home with the baby can really be, you know, is having all of these emotional needs fulfilled by having all that skin to skin contact with that child. And the partner who, um, you know, didn't birth the baby can, can start to feel left out. And so, and there's a big difference also, what I think can be really relieving to a lot of parents is to have a second kid, (laughs) even though it's more work. I think all of these things are such a, such a game changer with the first child. And then with the second child, you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. This isn't forever. This is uh, this is going to be okay. And I know what to expect now. Right. But with that first child, you know, then all of a sudden there, you know, the, the one partner, it's very easy for a partner to feel left out um, or to feel, you know, that, 
that they're lacking attention. And then if, if you have disparate libidos, if one partner is wanting sex more than the other, that just kind of increases that tension. So, you know, in my, in my book, I talk a lot about what are ways to start connecting and communicating about your sexual needs and, and, and sexual communication, just to be clear, doesn't mean, Hey, I need this. Now you're going to give it to me. It just means voicing your needs and your wants and then also being able to understand if someone isn't able to give that to you or if they are, you know? Yeah. So important. So, so important. And what are some of the steps that we can take to communicate better about sex and our needs? Because it gets so complicated when we're concerned about maybe, you know, hurting a partner's feelings or not wanting someone to feel rejected or, or maybe wanting to have sex when they perhaps don't. Yes. Those are some good questions. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's really important to know what it is that you want. And if what you are wanting yourself is to have a sex life that you enjoy and that you love, even if you're not feeling that right now, um, do a little homework on your own, you know, think about what it is that, what it is that makes you feel good. What it is that makes you feel sensual, what it is that feeds your eroticism. And then, you know, then you can communicate that to your partner. And what happens with many women is after we have babies, the things that worked before may not work anymore. You might not, you know, you may not, the same fantasies may not work that they did before, or you may not, um, have the time to put into lovemaking or to masturbation, all of these things that feed our own eroticism. And so it's, I I really encourage women to become, you know, become an expert on your own sensuality and then share that with your partner and encourage them to kind of, you know, encourage them to become, become an expert about you and vice versa. So then you're also learning about your partner and what it is that, that they want um, some some simple examples could be like, hey, I hate having sex in the morning. Maybe that's, you know, how one person feels. So then if you know that about your partner and you've discussed that and you're able to talk about it, first of all, and most importantly, in a way that doesn't feel like you're being rejected, right? So if you can talk about it in a way like, oh, you know, I just really have a hard time waking up in the morning and feeling sexy and feeling like that's something that I want to do. But let's, you know, let's think of a way that we could do, um, you know, have some alone time in the afternoon or put a movie on for the kids or whatever. It's really about being creative. I mean, I think um, for parents, creative sexuality is where it's at because it takes you just don't have the time and the space for for intimacy that you did before kids. Sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I know that for some people that takes some scheduling. And like you said, sometimes it's just being really creative, which actually probably could make it more fun too, because it's seeing it as like this fun project. And what I love also about what you just said is it sounds like this is a conversation that you have ongoing and it's also not necessarily, or maybe even it's better to have it outside the bedroom. So it's not like in the middle of it, but it's actually you know, hey, I was just, you know, it just comes up more naturally in a conversation where there isn't Absolutely. expectation. Do you think do you think that's important to prioritize those non-bedroom talks? Oh, definitely. And also, you know, really take note of what it is like, take note of the positives, you know, what they say, um, kind of like in, in just healthy communication, like you remember the negative things and it can take five positive comments to erase a negative comment that our partner has said to us. So, you know, you know, especially with sex in the bedroom, which is such a vulnerable place for everyone. 
um, really tuck away those positive things like about your that that your partner does for you or that you know how you like how they look or how they smell or what they do that makes you feel good and and share those be sure that you're sharing those so that then when you you know maybe there's something you want to change or you want them to change or you want to work on it doesn't feel um, like a negative right because it's it's steeped within the, that those positive comments also and not you're you're not having that conversation in the middle of sex right you're not like oh my god please don't do that i hate it when you do that <laughs> yeah that's that's kind <laughs> of mean, a buzzkill that's that never <laughs> happened right but totally. yeah. it can be more um uh helpful or uh proactive productive productive if you can have that kind of conversation in a different setting completely completely one thing i really like is saying I love it when you blah, 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 you know, whatever that is. So even if it's something that say I, for example, and I actually don't really like immediate morning sex. So for me, I want to like wake up a little bit, brush my teeth, la, la, la. So (laughs) I would say something like, you know, I really love it when we are intimate, like after breakfast, when, you know, blah, 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 and make it into this sort of positive thing instead of ew, gross, ick. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, And I'm curious. And again, I've I've not had children. So I this is all very some of this is very foreign to me as far as the physical parts of of childbirth. You mentioned things not working for you, perhaps the same as they did before, or maybe, you know, other types of fantasies and whatnot. Does the actual act of having a baby also change perhaps how you physically perceive pleasure and what what works well? Yeah, and and again, this is going to be a different answer depending on the person that you talk to. Um, I know, you know, I had um, vaginal scarring. I had scar tissue that didn't heal after I had my oldest son, and that was, you know, it took too long, in my opinion, for my doctor to help me figure this out. Um, but I, you know, it hurt. I couldn't figure out why it hurt all the time. And even if I was, you know, trying different things or had a really good lube or whatever, it, it just hurt. And um, so that's one example. Also, you know, I think disengaging our brains from our babies and being able to just focus on pleasure and sensuality. Um, I remember, I know that, you know, when my, when my baby was very little, it was almost like, oh my God, my body isn't for this anymore. My body is for my baby. Like you're so connected to your child in this crazy identity, you know, shifting way that I I think it can take, it really can take some time, especially with that first kid to be able to once again allow yourself mental space and physical space to say, okay, this is my body. This is my body for pleasure, for sexual pleasure. Um, and kind of, you know, it's this, um, it's a negotiation with yourself almost to, to give yourself permission to do that. And for some women, that is totally easy for them to do. And for other women, it's very challenging. And it kind of depends. I really love that, um, a lot of sex educators are now starting to talk about this and they are really saying like the first year after you have a baby, you need to get, you know, give yourself a lot of grace and compassion and patience and you may not be having sex that often and it may not be that great and that's normal and that's okay. And I think that can be really reassuring for a lot of parents who are, who are struggling. I love that. I could just feel 
relief even just hearing that, you know, and obviously I'm not going through this, but I just think whenever, because it can feel, especially when people aren't talking about it, we feel so isolated in something we're struggling with when there's no conversation. We feel like we're the only person, maybe we feel a little bit broken and knowing that there is like, not only is this completely normal, but like you said, that there is like a light at the end of the tunnel, that things do tend to normalize and, you know, whether that happens quickly or slowly, that that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, kind of in, in life, but also in our sexual lives, like we all want to know, am I normal? Is this normal? And the the good news is we all are. I feel like that is every question that I receive from, from women, every yeah. single one that's at the heart of it is like, am I okay? Am I normal? Is there something wrong with me? And yeah it's never been the answer's never been yes there's something wrong with you it's always been you know everything's okay you're not alone and there's a lot of hope to be had which is good news there really is so i know that women in general and especially moms tend to be really hard on themselves and i'm sure uh, sexual self-esteem can be quite an issue for some what are some of the steps that moms can take to build their sexual self-esteem um You know, I have a few (laughs) tried and true things. Whenever I do a workshop, when we talk about this, um, I, I have moms write down a list of three things that are their goals for themselves. And then they make some goals with their partner also, if they have a partner. And, you know, three things that you either want to achieve or that you want to, um, try or that you're wanting to come back to and, so to build sexual self-esteem, I feel like it's it's a paradigm shift, and acknowledging that as moms, like we're not gonna we're not gonna be stuck in the past. We're not gonna be stuck in like what we were like as a sexual person, and you know before we had kids, and not be comparing ourselves to that because you know being a sexual person within a long-term relationship as a parent is just a different thing. It just is. And so there's a lot of wonderful things about it. There's a lot of, there are a lot of challenges, but there are a lot of amazing opportunities within that because you have a partner that can get to know you very, very well. You get to know yourself. You have this freedom to get to know yourself. Um, And so I, you know, for sexual self-esteem, I think it's really, you know, investigating um, what it is that you want for yourself and then what's in the way, what is making that hard for you to achieve and what, what, how could you combat those challenges? Like what, what could you do? And it, you know, some moms that I, that I work with say, you know, I just want to be able to have sex with the lights on. Other moms say, I really want to go to a a toy shop and get my first vibrator. Other moms are like, Hey, I want to have an open relationship. Again, the spectrum of experiences. Right. And, um, so really identifying what it is that you want, what your goals are, what you are, what you could do to achieve those. And, and then, you know, I am all about, I am like an enormous masturbation proponent. (laughs) I I think that over and over again, I hear women say, I just don't spontaneously want sex the way I used to. And I'm like, well, duh, you are a busy woman. Of course you don't. And so, you know, when we give our, allow ourselves, first of all, to, uh, to 
the time and space to to pleasure ourselves, pleasure our nerve endings, you know, and just feel our own sensual power and that it belongs to us. It's not just about what we do with our partner. It is really about our own experience. I think that so much power can come from that, that then you can share with your partner if you have one. And if you don't, you get to really have a vibrant, wonderful sex life with yourself. Beautiful. I love that so much. And I think the benefits, you know, like you said, not only do you get to know your body and reconnect with your own pleasure, which we so often, and well, not often, but we can fall into the thought pattern of I'm not being sexual enough for a partner. Whereas, yeah. you know, starting with ourselves and the stress relief alone, like I didn't, <laughs> I, I was so, had so much shame around masturbation. So I didn't, I didn't masturbate as a adolescent or a teenager. And I have said so many times, if I had what a different experience that would be, because there's so much stress and all these hormonal shifts and all this stuff. And I can only imagine that mom's going through so much in this new phase of life and all of this responsibility. Yeah. What a beautiful way to let go and to, really have self-care I know I always I always joke that my greatest professional achievement are all of the moms who've come to me after purchasing a vibrator and said thank you so much it makes me so happy (laughs) I love it and I just adore what you're doing I adore your work and your message and your energy I think you're such a needed voice and I hope everyone checks out your work could you remind us again where everyone can find you Absolutely. So my book is um, From Ouch to Awe, The New Mom's Guide to Sex After Having a Baby. And you can find it on Amazon. My name is Sarah J. Swafford. And my website is sarahjswafford.com. Thank you so much, August. This has been really great. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. Everyone, please go and check out her work. If you are a mom, you know a mom, nab her book and really keep these conversations going. And for you non-parents and for you guys out there, you know, who who have kids or want to have kids, all of this is so relevant to everyone. And it's such an important piece that I think is so often missing. So thanks again to Sarah. Speaking a bit, we'll go back to libido differences, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. And those can happen with and without kids. It's such a common thing. I recently chatted with our resident sex and relationships expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, who we just love. Uh, And by the way, just so y'all know, I read every one of your blog comments and emails. And here is a little proof. So I recently went through my whole blog. I was moving my website and I found so many questions from blog readers and uh, people along the way with my girl boner journey who have shared thoughts and insights. And I saw some interesting patterns. And one was talking to a partner about differences in libido. I noticed that I heard from both men and women who would say that they wanted sex more than their partner did was a common one. And a couple who it was the opposite, you know, way where they were feeling guilty that they didn't want sex as often. But in every case, there was this missing communication. How do you begin to address libido differences in your relationship? Well, I think the first uh, part of that is to name it and to notice it, right? That we call it that desire discrepancy or mismatch levels of desire. And I say to everybody, it's like, like intelligence and a lot of characteristics, it's on a bell curve, right? So most of us are in the middle, the median, but there are always people on the outliers. So, you know, for men, there are men who are on the lower sexual desire. You know, they have lower testosterone, but they're still in the normal range. But like sex is not top of mind, as women often assume, uh, is for all men. And I think it's also true that some women are really on the higher sexual energy side and some women are on the really lower side. And that could be just 
physiology, but that could also be sort of upbringing, right? It could be um, body shaming. It could be messages you got about sexuality. So I think it's important to recognize somebody's level of desire um, is what it is for many reasons. You know, it's not just, I think, a biological sort of set point in hormones. I think that uh, previous sexual partners and experiences and messages you got, there are many, many things that influence, I think, our sexuality and level of libido. But I, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, I would say for most couples in the relationship, at some point they are going to be navigating the differences in libido. And it's in, we can talk more, but it's a huge yeah. issue. Absolutely. Actually, one of the questions that I spotted, too, is from a guy who was saying that his wife is a night owl and he works really early. And so he's always sleepy at night when she's turned on. So that's exactly what you're saying. Every, you know, this may not be something that in if they had the exact same schedule would be an issue, but because he has this this schedule conflict that he needs to sleep at night. So what if you do have really different available times to, to be intimate. Right. So I was, I was saying that's a real common one also. Just it, in this case, it's logistics, it's timing of their jobs. But I also think it's almost like nocturnal. <laughs> like some people really prefer evening because they're more relaxed or awake or creative and other people are just like best for things. So, um, you know, if you really have that difference, I'm like, okay, what about the weekends and the afternoons? Or how do you somehow carve out a window that's in between a time that can work for you both? And also sometimes it's like you know that that's when your partner's going to be most present, most, you know, like turned on. And you know what? Sometimes you can serve the energy um, to make that happen because that can be a win-win for both of you. Totally. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you brought up another related point, which is scheduling sex. Do you think that that's something that is important for many couples to do? I mean, it's it's a hot topic and everybody has often strong opinions about it. Um, I think, honestly, I'm married to kids and just in general, if you have a busy lifestyle, if you don't schedule it, it's not likely to happen because life is just going to fill up that time. So I sort of say to my clients, you don't plan a vacation and enjoy it any less, right? It could be part of, oh, my God, where are we going to go to? What do we want to do? It could be part of the anticipation. And it's just the recognition. The reason I think most people don't like, like spontaneous is because they think that they have to be, oh, it's sexy time. i got to be aroused now. And the reality is you cannot command arousal any more than you can command yourself to be sleepy, right? It's a reflex. So it's more like let's schedule the time and in that moment – See what feels right to us, you know, what what will feel fun, what will feel playful, what will feel connecting, and without expectation that anything has to happen, but just knowing that you've carved up the time to connect and see what can emerge and happen. I loved that chat. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I imagine many of you out there can relate to some level. I'm sure we've all, I mean, how is it even possible for two people to have the exact same libido all the time? You know, it changes for all of us throughout our lives, throughout days, throughout, you know, relationships. And it's really important to to know that, again, whatever you are desiring or your partner desiring is normal and embraceable and perfectly okay and talking about it is so important and I totally agree that scheduling sex can be totally exciting it can be 
really powerful as, as an aphrodisiac, as a sort of wonderful foreplay that gets us into that anticipation zone. Um, I'm not a big scheduler in life in general, but just knowing that that is coming, no pun intended, is a, a you know, fun and exciting thing. I have a very special guest in the studio with me, which nobody knew about, but she's been here. My secret friend, um, a writer named AJ from Europe, who has been supportive and wonderful with everything with Girl Bonner from the beginning. She actually read along uh, the blog series before the show began, and she's a talented writer with her own blog. And I'm so happy you're here, AJ, to kind of join the experience live. Well, thank you very much, August. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, we were talking beforehand, and I kind of put you on the spot and said, hey, do you want to say anything on the show? And I really admired the fact that you immediately, your mind went to a way that you could help other women. Would you share with everyone, just in brief, the lesson that you learned recently that you hope that others can learn from? Um, it's a pleasure to do so, and I really hope some women can learn from this experience. I have been together in a five-year relationship with a sociopath. Um, he was a liar of the worst sort, and um, even though he has asked me for marriage, which made me trust him too much, um, I did not know he was not trustworthy. I don't want to generalize here. I'm sure there are men that are trustworthy, but he was not. And um, I entrusted him with my health and with my life. I did not protect myself during our sexual journey. And um, after finding out that I wasn't the only one next to his wife, mm. I was... Uh, um, I was going to the doctor, have my che myself checked out, and uh, found out that he has provided me with a bug. Thankfully, it was being able to be cured. I really, I really, really was more than lucky that um, it wasn't any worse, and that other than that, I'm clean, and, uh, and uh, it, it was scary. It was really, really, really scary. And I would just remind other women to be really, really sure before sacrificing their health and their life to somebody who is eventually not trustful. Thank you so much for having the courage to say that. It's a very brave act. And I know that other people can relate or maybe are in those situations where we feel very swept up into this romance. And, you know, we've had the sociopath dating series. That sounded like I was like advertising dating a sociopath. Um, I'm not. Please don't do that. If, if at all possible, avoid that. Um, but we explored experiences of other women. And, and I shared one of my own dating a sociopath or somebody who's on that kind of narcissist spectrum where they kind of woo you at the beginning and seem so perfect and then you feel very controlled by the relationship and so for you to not only come out of that and I'm so sorry that you had to deal with it but to have the compassion for other people to say you know this happened to me and it's so important because we feel we trust them so much well he was the man who asked me for for marriage you know why in all the world would I not trust him um, too bad I found out later that um, there were several women involved in that, you know, besides his wife. And, uh, of course, 
I wasn't the only one. Yeah. So uh, I think it is important to just throw that warning out to all women to take care of themselves first. Thank you, AJ. I'm so glad that you took care of yourself and that you went to the doctor as all of us should. And there's no shame in having any kind of sexually transmitted illness or disease. If it happens, you take care of yourself just as you did in awareness is power. So don't be afraid to get those test results and to to move forward. And, and I'm so happy to see you, AJ, smiling and moving forward with your life. And I'm going to be cheering for you and wishing you all the best. Thank you very much, Alice. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and leave us a simple review while you're there. To nab my new self-love quickie audio meditation, it's totally rated G, and stay in my personal loop, sign up for email updates at augustmclaughlin.com. There you can also learn more about Girl Boner, the rest of my work, um, get some cool kind of show extras, and my latest book, Embraceable. If you dig this show, I'm guessing you will really love that. It's full of stories from all sorts of women who have really empowering things to say and experiences we can all learn from. Thank you so, so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.